Hello, strong, feisty women. Some of you may recognize my voice. I'm Celine Yeager, host of the Hip Play Not Pause podcast. Throughout my career as a professional health and fitness writer and now a podcaster, I hear countless questions from women who are trying to understand how their ever-changing hormones impact their sports performance. So we decided to serve up some answers in a brand new series called Hormonal that we will be releasing on the Feisty Women's Performance Podcast feed. Throughout this four-part series, reproductive endocrinologist Dr. Carla DiGirolamo and I will be tackling topics like periods, the pill, pregnancy, and conditions like PCOS, all from the perspective of sports performance. If you aren't already, follow the Feisty Women's Performance Podcast and stay tuned for our first episode releasing on April 15th. Also, have questions you want answered? Send us a voice note at speakpipe.com slash hormonal and we'll get it answered on the show. You are listening to the Girls Gone Gravel podcast, a show for women who are chasing their everyday and epic adventures. This podcast is hosted by Christy Moan and me, Katherine Taylor, and powered by Feisty Media. The future is so bright. That's what this podcast is about, people. <laughs> Whichever way you want to think it of is. It. The future is so bright. That's really good, Vets. Way to start us off. Yeah. I like shades. it. Okay. We are doing a special episode today. And Betsy just found out that she was on video. <laughs> so also, didn't you you were singing the last time we were on a podcast recording? No, that was me. Oh, that was you. Um, no, I was, I was talking smack that I was going to win a race. And then I spent that whole race freaking out that I'd like said it. And then I wasn't going to win, but then I won. You won. <laughs> we just like to spring things <laughs> on you. Like, oh, I know. That was recording. <laughs> okay. So we, so Christy and I have Betsy Welch and Michelle Duffy. Do you still by Duffy or did you change to Smith? Uh, I said I'd take Smith, but I haven't filed any paperwork yet. He's <laughs> just so much does. cooler than Smith. I'm sorry. So we go by the Smuffies. <laughs> <laughs> we have Smuffy with us today. <laughs> yeah, Duffy it, is, I think, a superior last name. Yeah, it is. That. It is. <laughs> yeah. So we wanted to uh, bring you ladies on so we could all have a conversation. This is the end of the year. Looking back at 2022 and what has happened in gravel in 2022, specifically in the women's field, because we don't really care about the guys' gravel beef that much. <laughs> ah, that's where most of the beef is, really. This year it was, at least. Yeah. So I guess I'll, well, first of all, let's have y'all introduce yourselves. I know you've both been podcast guests in the past, uh, but a real quick intro, kind of who you are and what you do. So uh, we'll start with you, Michelle or Smuffy. (laughs) Um, I am Michelle Duffy Smith, and I am the marketing director at Lifetime for our athletic events. I've been here five years and I live in Emporia, Kansas, thanks to Christy Moan's um, avid convincing of me to look at the housing market here. <laughs> I'm a full-time resident. <laughs> trying to do it with Betsy over there, but it isn't working. <laughs> nope. Yep. Nope. 
can't ski in Emporia. (laughs) That is a true statement. Sorry, Betsy, I interrupted your introduction. I'm Betsy Welch, and I am a uh, writer and reporter at uh, Velo News um, slash outside. Um, I cover gravel and a little bit of mountain biking and just generally whatever I find kind of interesting going on in the wide world of bicycles, including um, women's uh, a little bit of women's road racing, too. Yeah, you awesome. covered a little women's road race this past year. Little one, <laughs> little big one. Yeah. I think it's interesting because we really have, I mean, you know, we're, we're here to talk about what 2022 brought to the table um, in particular for women's cycling. Um, I think it will be a little bit of interesting to have a little bit of um, dive into what we think 2023 might bring. But honestly, we've got two of the most influential women in the sport with us today with uh, Duffy kind of forging the way um, with the lifetime Grand Prix and then just all of Betsy's coverage of, of, um, of the sport, which has elevated the, it's just continued to elevate women's cycling. So I'm stoked to have you both here. Plus I get to call you friends, which is even, <laughs> even freaking better. <laughs> I'm stoked to be here. <laughs> <laughs> I think we all need some coffee. This is I know, I know. I was just typing, no, please <laughs> don't judge my Starbucks pumpkin cream cold brew that I'm about to indulge on. <laughs> oh, <laughs> wow. Wow, Michelle. I know, it's really basic. Okay, well, let's just start, like, um, looking back at this year, what do you all think were some of the big, uh, the, the big wins for women in gravel or women cycling in general? And everybody, Christy, you get to answer things too. Um, I'm happy to start and, you know, just kind of what comes to to mind first. And of course, I'm incredibly proud of the Lifetime Grand Prix that took place this year, but I think it's so much broader than that. Um, it was just a piece of, of a much larger pie that we saw um, come to life this year. And I think that's like really starting to develop deep camaraderie between female participants because there's become such an established racing circuit in North America and it's kept a lot of talent here here locally and obviously there was a big amazing thing that happened in Europe as well which which I'll get to and I'm sure we'll discuss um but just in terms of the North American racing scene which we are a part of um but watching that and how it's really um become further established, even just in my five short, long years in this space and seeing uh, the depth of field really, really grow and something that we heard over and over again. And in our survey feedback from the inaugural year of the Grand Prix was the the camaraderie that that grew within the field. Um, And that was really, really amazing for us to watch unfold and develop as the year went on. Yeah. And I'll, I'll, I'll go a little off that. Um, One thing that's been cool to see from like my side of the table is um, the women really uh, like begin to have a really a deep dialogue about racing as women, about racing one another, about what they want the sport to look like, whether that looks like women's only races, whether it continues to look like mass starts, um, you know, and how they've like recovered from 
you know, whatever you want to call gravel beef, like the little flares of drama there have been in the women's Peloton, how I just think the women have like set this incredible high, high, incredibly high standard of like how they behave in, in the world of this sport and stuff. And uh, I just think that creates like a really deep, thoughtful and engaging conversation that is going to shape it. Like they're going to decide what they want to see the racing continue continue to look like. Um, And I don't think it's necessarily like something that we can even predict. Like, I think it's this evolving thing that, you know, even a few years ago, you may have had the majority of people saying like, hell no, we, we would never think of a women's only race. Whereas now you like, it's something that, you know, people are entertaining. So it's been cool to see, like you said, Michelle, like a camaraderie and sort of like an openness among these professional women to chart the course of how they want things to look. Yeah. I loved being at the finish line of big sugar. I was saying this before we started recording and cause I've been at some big finish lines in the last couple of years. And, you know, usually it's like this sprint with the guys and it's a super exciting finish for the men. And the men were kind of like, that were pretty spread out. So it was like one and then the next one. So it was kind of like the women typically finish and even like, you know, Paige solidly won that race, but there was also a race within the race going on, which was for the top steps at the um, Grand Prix. And that race was so exciting. And it was so fun to watch like seven women come across the finish line and like laid out on the ground, couldn't Mm -hmm. talk, couldn't breathe because they put so much out there and you just... I haven't felt like I've ever seen that as much in women's racing. And so it was really fun to see like the level come up and what the competition can look like, but also how excited they were for each other in the finish shoot Um, and excited that they had worked together and accomplished that. Yeah. Big Sugar was a, it was a cool race for the women on a lot of levels. Um, We all heard a lot of the women say like, wow, I've never been in, I've never spent that much time racing with my female peers in a gravel race and holy shit, that was so cool. So, I mean, that's, and that like, for me as a journalist, like, God, that's, (laughs) I wish all races were like that. It makes it like a much more interesting race report, you know, as you say, but. And that's, I think that's kind of, a byproduct of what's developed in, in opportunity here in the U S and in North America, because the level, the playing field is just getting deeper. And a couple of years ago, there might not have been 30 women at that level. Um, and that's why it was more strung out. And now it's developed to the point where women are realizing that they're capable of riding with those that they've aspired uh, to race with. And it's just really deep in the field of competition. To live your healthiest life possible, you need to understand what's going on inside. Inside Tracker takes a personalized approach to health and longevity from the most trusted and relevant source, your body. Inside Tracker was created by experts in aging, genetics, and biometric data from Harvard, Tufts, and MIT. It provides personalized health analysis and clear recommendations plus an action plan on how to live a longer, healthier life. Inside Tracker can also calculate your biological age, which is the rate you're aging compared to your chronological age, as well as ways to lower your biological age. The thing we love most about Inside Tracker is that they give you recommendations on things you can control to optimize your health, like food, supplements, workouts, and other lifestyle choices. 
And did you know that you can use your HSA, HRA, and FSA to buy any Inside Tracker plan? Which means you can purchase Inside Tracker using your tax free dollars. Oh, and it gets better. For a limited time, you get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store when you sign up. So if you're ready to get a crystal clear picture of what's going on inside your body, along with the science backed recommendations to optimize what's not working, visit insidetracker.com slash feisty. That's insidetracker.com slash feisty. When you look back at this, and, and this is more kind of a question for Betsy, because the Grand Prix is obviously, or, you know, a lot of this is happening in America off-road. Um, but you got to go see the Tour de France Femme in France. What was that? How does that compare to like what's going on in the gravel scene, in the off-road scene? Um, you know, it's interesting. Like it, it's, gosh. I'm not sure I'm going to answer this that well because I haven't really thought about it that way. I mean, I've I thought I was that I was thinking a little bit about covering the two events. Like it was cool to cover the Tour de France because it was like just this one race and it was only women. Whereas when I cover gravel, it's like I'm always covering two things. Um in terms of like the race reporting or whatever. Um, and it, it was really cool at the tour to just be like, I don't have to like, you know, um, uh, make sure I pay equal attention to men and women. Like it's just this race. Like how cool was that? Um, but I mean, I will say like one of my, one of the things that I really appreciate, appreciate about our off-road scene here is, the fact that stuff like prize money, where it is applicable, it's not a question of whether it's equal. Like it just is. And if you're not going to do equal prize money, like forget it, you're going to get flayed on social media, you know, but at the Tour de France, the prize money is, is not equal at all. Um, it's decidedly very unequal. Um, so it's interesting because like on the one hand, you had this event that was elevating women, like the spotlight was on them. There was no men's race going on at the same time, but there's like all these old sort of like, I don't know, holdout inequalities built in. Whereas like over here, we are charting this new course where in or not inequality, equality, we're trying to bake it into the structure of the thing itself. Um, and that's really something we should be proud of, I think. Yeah. I hope it has an influence. You know, I think about, I think about Unbound in particular and the growth of Unbound where with having been involved with it for so long, you know, thinking I want this to be the tour de France of the United States. So definitely had an influence, you know, it's had an influence on me and the way I think about racing bikes to some extent. I wonder if we can have that same influence back across the pond where it's like, you know, where you should take a page out of our playbook and look at equality. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's interesting you say that because I've just, um, I wrote a story today about USA cycling and sort of some of their ambitions in gravel and 
that is an example where I I believe if they are true to what they say, they are going to take the cues from the people who have been here for years. And so that's an example of like what you're saying, where like they're, it's going the other way, you know, it's not from the top down as it normally is. It's coming from the bottom and it's, um, that'd be so fun. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I'm curious. Um, and probably both of you see this, Michelle, you probably saw it through the Grand Prix and then Betsy, obviously you see it with reporting, but we know that women still don't necessarily get like, well, they don't get equal sponsorship money, right? They don't get equal Mm -hmm. attention from brands. Um, and they don't get not any of the lifetime races, but other events that I followed this year. And they were like, oh yeah, we should cover the women's race too. And it started after the men finished, they were putting women on and I'm like, you know, this happens every time, you know, you need two vehicles, one to cover the men's race and one to cover the women's race every time you need, you know, that. Um, and so anyway, how, how do you think things are progressing for women as far as being able to make a, an actual living out of doing bike racing? Um, I think with, when you provide opportunity, um, then I think that that follows and, and there are opportunities being provided at this time, unfortunately, and, and, and fortunately, but unfortunately, I think requires a lot of hustle still in the off-road side. I mean, what, what other assets do you have besides being a good bike rider? And um, if you're shy and you don't want to put yourself, you know, we've talked a lot about this this year and you're not really uh, vocal on social media or you want to keep your private life private, um, you're almost penalized for that because you're not just compensated for how well you can ride your bike. Um, and so it's pushing, and I think in cycling in general, but I think you can look at other sports, individual sports, non-team sports, where this expectation is the same is like, what more do you have to offer to my brand? And if it, if there's more then the compensation will follow. Um, but hopefully things like the lifetime grand prix, and, and other um, series that are popping up are providing the opportunity for riders to, pr- to prove their, their um, worth. And I think that comes back on to the race organizers. As, and I'm just speaking for, for the responsibility that I feel is like, we have assets like social assets or video assets that we're, we're creating. And so we have a responsibility of making sure that women are put forth on those platforms in the same capacity that their male um, competitors are because even if they're the shy athlete or even if they're developing and haven't had the opportunity to build a bigger brand for themselves, they still have the ability to say, well, I'm a part of this series and it's getting this much exposure. And then we're providing a platform for them to be able to basically go out and recruit sponsors um, to join them in. So I, I think there's definitely a, a responsibility on the the race promoters if they are looking to build something like we are trying to build with the Grand Prix. That's not every race promoter, mom and pop events. They they don't necessarily need to take on that burden. Um, but sitting in the seat that I am in um, with a large corporation that's putting on a series that has a very sizable prize purse, I think there is responsibility um, from our perspective to make sure we're providing equal opportunity. And we plan for that. Um, we plan for 
for every single race, whether that's different vehicles, different team members, different whatever that may be, timelines to ensure that we're covering the men's and women's race as equal as we possibly can, whether they're intermixed or not. And, and that does require planning, time, effort and resources. But again, that's a responsibility that that we're wearing and shouldering as, um, you know, vocally trying to be a leader in the sport. I'm curious, um, because I know, you know, we're sitting here talking about what all this has done for the professional side of women's cycling. Um, But I also think there's a story that's happening just with just with your average Jane, instead of Joe, I guess, writer out there, like, is that like, I feel that these seeing these athletes are just, they're inspiring, um, other people like young women, they're inspiring, you know, old women, like whatever it's like, they're just inspiring other people to get on the bike that are not necessarily going to be riding in the tour de France or the grand prix series. I think that's absolutely true. Um, and I, I hear it like, I mean, I hear it even from like peripheral people in my life who are not from the bike part of my life, like old colleagues that I worked at the hospital with, or like, you know, girlfriends who don't ride and they're inspired by, you know, whether it's like me or someone they watch on social media. And um, so I, I, I do believe that's happening. Cause like, if I'm hearing it, then, you know, you can imagine what Sturmy is doing, for example, for just people. But I do have a question to like lob back at you guys, because this came up recently, a a race promoter of a a small new gravel race called me and he was really, really wanted advice on um, how to make sure that he had a lot of women at the race. Like he really wanted to sort of target marketing or outreach to women and and like have that be a focus of this race. And I get this question a lot, like, how can we get more women? How can we get more women? And I don't find it that easy to answer because I think, well, I'm not sure there is one answer or even two or even three. Um, and so I'm like curious what you guys think. Um, you know, we've, we've gotten, I think to like this threshold where 30% is like like a great, oh my God, we got 30% of women. And like, if, if we get 30, like we're doing pretty good. However, that's far from parody, right? Um, is parody still the, the ultimate goal? Why aren't we there? What if it's not reflective of, you know, just like there's all these questions that I have about that. And it, does that mean that we we're failed. not doing well that we're not like that we're not doing it right like that right. lifetime is doing it right that i'm not doing it right you know that like unbound like or should we be celebrating something here i'm just curious what you guys think i think we need to celebrate first of all um i think we always need to be celebrating that um and i think having been doing this as long as i've been doing it and especially to the call out to women to really understanding it is just simply more difficult in a societal way for women to show up at start lines because of responsibilities and, you know, restrictions that, that are just there from a society perspective. And so I think that the valuable piece of it is to, is continuing to make sure that 
that women feel welcome and safe. And I think we're getting way better at doing that just on a, on a base, you know, on a base to base level. And I think, you know, small races have taken cues from bigger races and bigger races have taken cues from smaller races and this whole, you know, kind of ecosystem that we have woven in together is, is, is making it happen. I don't know if we'll ever see a 50, 50. I mean, I think you'll have races where there's 50, 50, or there's more than that. I mean, you see it at unbound with some of our smaller distances where we have more than 50% women showing up. So I think you have to just really consider the entire space and making sure like, I, I did like one thing I liked that gravel worlds did this year in their thousand mile or their thousand women initiative was really not just at the start line, you know, it was volunteers. It was like, you know, what's the ecosystem that's making up the, the ethos of an event. And, um, for me, I think 30% is a great number. I think we could, you know, continue to edge that higher, but the 50, 50 number seems like it's going to take a societal change and that we'll see in a hundred years. <laughs> like probably not Maybe, my though. I mean, that's what happened in running, right? Like hardly any run- women, uh, they couldn't run marathons. So then it was very small, but then they started creating like these groups and people would go together and like they started doing like women's training programs and women's marathons. And I, I do think there are some things that promoters often overlook, like have pictures of women on your website. Um, even saying like we're reserving spots for women even if you don't fill them up, right. It sends us or, or BIPOC athletes or non-binary, whatever it is, it sends us a, a message that you are welcome here and we're creating a space for you. Um, connecting with like teams or groups in the community, um, making sure you get a lot of pictures for social media. Um, and the other big thing like this happened, cause I get that question a lot too, Betsy, but like I got like three weeks in a I was like three days in a row or something like people post them, you know, we have that big Facebook group and they're like, we don't have any women signed up for our race. And it was like the death race where everyone will die. And then the next day it was like the hardest race in all of America. And I'm like, I'm kind of seeing a pattern of why nobody's signing up for your race, you know, like, um, because women want to know they can complete something when they do it. And so if it's automatically branded, like you will die and you may not finish, um, I just don't know if that's going to be the most attractive thing. Well, and, and it's interesting you enter to running first in your response, Catherine, that's what my background was prior to, to cycling. And uh, that's where my head was going. And I like, I'm always cautious of, of approaching it from this, this angle, because I think from a disciplinary perspective and a business perspective, we still need to always be trying to fight for parity and 50, 50. And like, that has to be a goal um, because we'll only increase female participation if we're fighting for, you know, that audience. Um, In saying that, if you study consumer behavior and um, consumer interests and uh, male versus female, like, and looking at the outdoor industry as a whole, Sometimes I, I, you have to step back and be like, well, okay, well, how are men and women engaging with the outdoors as a whole, taking, stripping out events, like just in terms of, um, activities that interest them and, you know, the high adrenaline activities typically lean more male and things like hiking, running, trail running are 
seeing more uh, female participation numbers. And I think that correlates to like the unbound 25 and 50, we're seeing more women participate. And I don't think that's because it's a shorter distance and they only feel capable of that. I think it's because it's something that either they can complete, they feel comfortable in. It's not this like Uber, you might die experience for them. Um, Maybe they don't have as much time because they have a family and so they can commit training for 50 miles, but 200 miles is like endurance junkie. Like they're not quite interested in that. And I use like the Leadville Trail 100 mountain bike race as an example here, because every year we're like targeting women in our marketing and, you know, essentially accepting all the women that apply in the lottery. And we still can't eclipse like 15% registration Mm -hmm. from women. And I also think that's okay because, well, it's not okay. We want to fight for more, but I don't think we should be so hard on ourselves because if we look at our portfolio and um, like Silver Rush, for example, is another mountain bike event that it has a 15 mile, that 15 miler is like 70% women. So we are creating other opportunities for them to come and participate. And maybe that 15 mile participant is then inspired to do the 50 and then one day wants to tackle the 100. Well, and I don't think, I don't think it's fair to also like with that example too, Michelle's like, it's okay for us to not expect women to go. Like it's okay for them to find themselves at a start line where they're comfortable. Mm-hmm. Like there doesn't have to be a forced issue there. Of, yeah. You know, the 200, that was what the 200 women, 200 miles taught me, honestly, <clears throat> when I had friends calling up going, can I just do the hundred next year? Or will you still be my friend? I'm like, mm-hmm. what? Yes, of course I'll be. <laughs> so anyway, but yeah. It's an interesting question. Sometimes I wonder if it's less, the numbers are less important than the approach, right? Like, you know, we need, we need to do away with all that language, like bring the wife and kids for a fun week, you know, like that. It's like, okay. Pictures of women in bikinis in your marketing. Did somebody do that? Oh yeah. The same people that did the wife and kids. Okay. So yeah, we don't. (laughs) That just like doesn't fly, you know, it's to me, it's like the thing, if there was ever to be an equal prize money, it's like, you don't, you're irrelevant. Sorry. Like if, so it's like, yes, women in the marketing, women in the advertising, like, um, yeah. And I think, I do think because this scene is so sort of like community policed at this point that, most organizers are hip to that and, and, and actually generally care. Like it's, I don't think it's all a marketing thing at this point. I think think there's a culture shift that's happened, which I'm excited because I think that's where you make the real change. It can't be just a checkbox. This is, it's literally like a, it's a shift. Yeah. Well, that's why I, you know, like people are like, well, who, like, why do you talk about the pros, right? Like you're, it's more about the everyday athlete. I'm like, but you need the stories and the people to look to. And like, I don't know, my little niece, um, she just got her, uh, she's turning seven in two weeks. And so she just got her a bike with gears and handbrakes. And I had showed her some videos of Kate Courtney earlier in the fall, uh, when she was like kind of whining about riding her bike, I was like, well, look at what this girl can do on her bike. And she's like, oh, she's amazing. And so we went the day after Thanksgiving up to Bellevue and we're driving home and she goes, can I watch Kate Courtney reels on your phone? And for 45 minutes, she just watched Kate Courtney doing reels 
on my phone. Right. And so like, I hope she grows up in a world where she believes like, that's just what girls do. They shred down mountains and she's excited about that. And so, you know, I think you can, it doesn't matter if you want to go for a podium at a race or you just want to show up and like have a great experience. Mm-hmm. Um, those are all valid things. And one doesn't make the other less yeah. at an event. Um, yeah. Yeah. The old, uh, if you see it, you can be it is a real thing. It, it really is. Um, <laughs> yeah. That one, that one, the first time I had the best example of that was uh, Gina Davis talking exactly. about archery. <laughs> she, cause she was an, she was an archer. I guess she was even at the Olympics and she was talking about how she went to her archery coach one year. And he was just talking about how there had been this huge spike in girls signing up to take archery. And it was because of Katniss Everdeen and the hunger games. And it just was like, you know, this real aha moment of like, all you got to do is just let them see it. It's that simple, which is crazy because it's really not that hard. (laughs) Ultimately, you just have to give the opportunity, right? I think if, if you look at other individual sports and, and team sports, but when you look at those, those heroes, um, and the influence that they have, I mean, look at gymnastics, a traditionally white upper crust sport in the United States. Mm -hmm. Every year, the team we were sending to the Olympics and world championships was predominantly white females. And then it took us Simone Biles to change that. And then you look at the world gymnastics team this year, and it is such a diverse team of very qualified gymnasts because they saw it. They saw somebody else accomplishing those goals and they believe that they could do it too. And they had parents that loved and supported them along the journey. And gymnastics has become a much more diverse sport in the last eight years. And I I see that the same way we look at women or BIPOC in cycling as well. Um, And that kind of comes back to whether that's media or event promoters or brands and who is in their ambassador list. Like, are you truly giving um, people, someone to, to look to and, and see themselves in. And that doesn't just mean like gender and race. That's also, are, are you a working mom? Are you a, you know, recovering from injury? There's all of these really relatable little nuggets, um, that someone looks to. And like, I see myself in that. And, um, that could be the inspiration, Betsy, to your point, like former coworkers at the hospital and they see what you're doing and maybe, you know, a friend had been talking to them about it and they they feel like they know someone that can accomplish those things and, and it might encourage them. Like my mom, you know, was encouraged to go buy a bike and, and she had her Walmart brand bike, but she went and she bought a specialized like <laughs> hybrid bike and her and my dad, like they used to just kind of like pitter patter around the neighborhood and now they'll like go ride 15 miles. And that's amazing. And that's just like, that's their, uh, that's what's palatable for them. But it, someone close in their life, like helped inspire that. And that happens all, all the time everywhere. Well, what, what are we hoping for 2023? What do y'all want to see happen with women and cycling, like both at the pointy end and, um, the everybody, I don't want to say everybody else, but the, the 
Yeah, the whole the weekend the whole spectrum warriors. of women's cycling. <laughs> <laughs> weekend warriors makes me think of military people that do their weekend drill. <laughs> I mean, I want to see more women um, doing um, off the bike things in the bike world. Like, I want to have more female colleagues in journalism. Um, I want to get more emails from women from brands. Uh, I think uh, event promoters, like whatever it is, you know, this isn't just about people riding bikes. It's about like the whole ecosystem, if you will. And that was one of my favorite parts of the Tour de France Femme was hanging out with all the other women journalists. Um, It just felt like it was our show. And um, that was really cool. And it was interesting. It was like, I had this sort of ongoing um, conversation with myself, like, wow, this is so cool. This is a big deal. And then I'd be like, but wait, maybe it's not a big deal. Like we're just journalists. We happen to be women. And so, you know, it's, it's just like, it's, I, I, I think it is a big deal. And I think it's normal. Like, I think both can be true at the same time. Um, what can't be true is that this will never be normal unless we normalize it. Like we need to normalize women working in the bike industry. We need to normalize women racing bikes, like, and, you know, we can still, it's still a big deal. And I think we can still call things out, but like, we just need to make it fucking normal. (laughs) that uh, you know card (laughs) (laughs) like i'll never forget this one old um surly like bike racer from the 80s once i talked was talking to her for a story or something and she's like you know what we used to call velo news right and i was like no and she's like fellow news she's like it's good (laughs) to see that they have a woman at fellow news um and it's like <laughs> damn right it is. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So did she take a drag off her cigarette when she was done? Bellow news. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. That's awesome. But yeah, and the I guess the last thing I'll say is um I think we who aren't professional athletes can sort of make a concerted effort all the time to elevate our peers in this industry. Mm-hmm. Like I try and share other female journalist stories. Um, you know, like we don't need to be competitive here with each other. We really need to just um, support each other as we can. Cause we are still a minority. But I talk to all these people that are like in different brands all the time. And they're like, they're women working in the same role in a different brand and I'm like, do you know so-and-so? And they've never met like that person. Cause they're like, we got all these events, but we don't have time. Cause we're just in our booth. And uh, one woman said, you know, what happens is a lot of women in the industry feel isolated and alone. So then they end up leaving because they feel like they're the only ones because they're the only ones in their company, but they don't see like there are all these other amazing women working there. Yeah. At Sea Otter in the spring, I was blown away by, and again, I think you have to be I think you do have to be a little conscientious. Like we're still a minority. You you do kind of have to seek other women out. But once you do, you're like, oh my God, we're actually here. We out here, as the kids say, yeah. you know? <laughs> so uh, 
that's how I felt at Sea Otter at the Tour de France Femme. It was like, yeah, we out here and we're just going to sort of own it. And I, I think that's, I think that's, um, that, I guess that would be my answer to your question that you asked a few minutes ago, which is like, what do we want to see? Which is more just sort of like normalizing it, owning it, continuing to just like be the best we can be in all the arenas of cycling and not really, not really even accept that there is another way, like just make this the way this Mm -hmm. is the way. I love that because like it, that, that comment just forced me to reflect, uh, personally for a second. And, um, I think that's something that even like myself in my position, just in the last, like two years, maybe I felt really more comfortable in, in, I, I like, I'm a grinder. I hustle behind the scenes and I was okay with that for a few years. And thankfully I'm surrounded by like really amazing, strong women like Christy or, um, even our senior leadership team, like chemo that just really have believed in me and, and encouraged me to like get out there and own the work that's been happening behind the scenes. And, and I didn't, and don't like, it's not a credit thing. It's more of a, like, build those relationships, let people know that a lot of this work is being done by females behind the scenes. I mean, our teams actually is predominantly female, um, which is, which is amazing. Um, and, and that should have been normalized earlier. And so hopefully that trickles down to the rest of, to the rest of our team and trickles across too, is like really owning the role, um, that, that we've had. And in something like the Grand Prix, for example, like opening it up, like this conversation up, I'm, I'm really proud of what we've created in, in the Grand Prix. And I'm really proud to have been a driving force in that. Um, within the organization. And that's probably not something I would have said outwardly a year and a half ago, just because it didn't feel, it felt like, oh no, I'm just delivering on somebody else's vision. Um, But, and I think, you know, that, that shift in mentality, uh, not just from the business perspective, but just as, as women in general will really help normalize and and we can create our, our army. (laughs) Um, And then just from, from the the racing perspective, like participant to pro, I I guess it's it's somewhat of the same as creating that sense, that environment for a sense of belonging, um, continuing to hear women out. Uh, there's no, I don't, I don't think the industry has found the right answer for how the front pointy end of of women's racing should look um, at a start line. I also think that that's okay. As long as we're continuing to evaluate the events from a one, a safety perspective and two, ensuring that we're at least providing a platform to listen to women and what they want. And, um, and then making the best decision based on the race environment that we're trying to create and safety. Um, so hopefully we can continue to, to have and evolve those conversations. And then I hope that some of the things that are happening in North American cycling, including the Grand Prix, continue to inspire the everyday participant um, to believe that they're capable and um, potentially see more page on wellers. Um, I, I know I've kind of latched on to that story, but I do just think like the the opportunity and see the ability to provide someone the opportunity to believe they belong, um, whether that's just simply standing at the start line or participating amongst the elite field is incredibly important. Um, 
and, and providing that opportunity has resulted in someone that's now making a full-time career out of, mm-hmm. out of riding her bicycle. And uh, I'd love to see a few more of those stories next year. I love it. I love that most of my calls have female faces on them. So. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Christy? Um, I mean, I think I, I, I don't think I could say any more than what these, these two women have said. It's really, it's really all of that. I do think, you know, I know I've pushed, I know I've pushed Duffy to, Mm -hmm. to be who she is, like to own who she's being, who she is in the space, because she's doing some amazing work. And um, a lot of that gets overlooked and it's really, really, really easy um, with my own personal experiences of letting um, men take the credit for the work that you're doing and not like in a bad way, just in a way that we just, we just are grinders. We just get the work done. So you don't, you don't think about it too much, but really it's important for us as women to make sure that I don't like not bragging about it, but making sure it's known because that influences the next generation of women to know that this, that, that we are doing the work and that you can, like it's the whole see it and be it thing is that if, if other young women don't know that Duffy's leading the charge on the Grand Prix, they don't understand that there's a space for women to do that. And so it's just, it all trickles down. It's the same, you know, from being on the bike to off the bike. Um, we've got to make sure people are aware that they know what, what work is being done by who, and not again, not for like bragging purposes, but just for the perspective of like leadership and future generations, because that's where the, that's where the effective change happens and stays both. I love all these answers. Well, um, I'm looking forward to seeing what happens in 2023. I think my biggest thing I want for people is just to step into whatever their dream is, right? Like if you want to race elite, go for it. Maybe you're the last one that crosses in the elite field. Doesn't matter, you know, or if you want to go to your first event and finish 25 miles, do it. If you're like, I want to try that 200, step into it and believe in yourself, right? And like the more women that take those steps and just go, this is a little uncomfortable. I don't know about it. And I think that's where we'll like really see amazing things in the next five years. And, and also um, grab a friend along the way. There's, <laughs> there's a lot of, there's, a, but, but really there's a lot of times that women, they may participate in something um, from a hobby perspective together. They go on group rides together, but that that friend may never have participated in an event before. And I think a lot of us know someone, someone like that and invite them to come along with you, like uh, mitigate the barriers, right? Like let's drive to this event together. They have two distances. You should sign up for this smaller distance, like starting to break those barriers down and encouraging other people that they, they belong. Well, thank you all so much for your time. Um, And I hope that everybody has a great holiday season. This will probably come out one of our last episodes of the year. So um, we will see everybody in 2023. Thank you. Thank you. You have been listening to the Girls Gone Gravel podcast. This podcast is edited and produced by the team at Live Feisty Media. If you've enjoyed the show, please leave us a rating. It really helps other women find the podcast. And be sure to follow us at Girls Gone Gravel on Instagram or Facebook.